Our governments must now be made accountable for the ruinous harm they have inflicted on their citizens during this pandemic. In Australia alone, their crimes include hundreds of needless deaths resulting directly from bungled state quarantine procedures, the loss of life from blanket prohibitions on known early treatments, the measurable cost of rolling lockdowns and indiscriminate restrictions on healthy citizens and those most vulnerable. Their deliberate use of lies and propaganda to raise fear and panic, their censorship and threats to medical professionals, their denigration of peaceful protesters and coercive and unlawful threats to divide and control in the name of public health must end urgently. And what about the mountain of public debt and the opportunity cost of this unabated and wasteful spending? These cruel governments and their incompetent and unethical officials have damaged millions of lives and our trust in democratic institutions. Whatever their agenda to eliminate a virus with rules of their own or the pursuit of obscure globalist objectives, these public officials must face the consequences of their actions before a genuine crisis emerges. A popular Twitter handle is no risk underscore no reward, and the author is Rick Munn. Now, this video came to my attention from someone looking outside in at what's happening in Australia. What is going on in Australia? When I was but a lad, Australia was known for things like Crocodile Dundee, Paul Hogan show, Barbies on the beach, Kylie and Jason, and let's not forget neighbours. Everybody needs good neighbours. So what's happening to the neighbours in Australia right now? Well, what seems to be happening is they're daubing each other in for breaking curfews. <laughs> Australia has went from Kylie and Jason to Hitler and Goebbels in a few short decades. And by the way, if you're listening to me from Australia, I love that country, love the people, but you're screwed. I'm sorry to say this. You probably already know this. You're screwed. And I'm not saying this in any way, bad way, but I'm trying to make sense of the situation myself and I'm trying to do it with a little bit of humor because otherwise there's a saying where I come from that if you don't laugh, you cry. Okay? If you don't laugh, you cry. There was 160 kids jabbed allegedly by accident the other day in Oz and when one of the officials was challenged on this got quite defensive and he said listen he said get over it it was an accident just move on and there was outcry outcry but it wasn't because the kids were vaccinated by mistake it's because people who were around the age of 40 were complaining that they had been overlooked in a vaccination program and the jabs were going to kids instead. And they were originally supposed to go to Aboriginal kids who were allegedly at high risk. The world is mad. The lunatics have taken over the asylum. 
What are you going to do about it? Rick Munn, great to see you and appreciate your time. Now it's late there in, in, uh, in the UK. You're very welcome, Meg. I'm, I'm glad to take this chance to speak with you tonight. Thank you. Just uh, before we get into it, just that, that video we just saw and uh, you talked about Kylie and Jason and all sorts of things. Um, yeah. Is it obvious from the other, out of Australia, on, on the other side of the world, is it obvious that Australia really is in trouble? Yeah, uh, there, there seem to be some forerunner nations that are really getting it tight at the moment, uh, Australia being one of them, New Zealand being another one. Uh, Israel really started the ball rolling when they brought in their, their first wave of vaccine passports, uh, Ireland, Canada and the United Kingdom. So those are countries that I think people are very much aware of that there are measures being rolled through at the moment and if they stick in the like of Australia or New Zealand or Ireland well then they will be replicated across the world so yeah uh, the focus is very much on 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 Australia and uh, New Zealand Ireland and the UK at the moment often hear from uh, commentators that um, there's light at the end of the tunnel I think that light at this stage is most likely a train coming towards us because I, I you know even though there's these fragmented groups and people like ourselves who are uh, trying to yep. bring to the attention of, of just yep. the general person that there is a, a massive problem looming. Um, do you feel the same way? Do you feel that, you know, it's going to be uh, tough days for a long time? I do. And I need to try and strike a balance between, um, you know, realism, you know, optimism and pessimism. Uh, the, you know, it can be dangerous to be, you know, blindly optimistic and a lot of what the government is doing psychologically or the governments are doing psychologically at the moment is they're building people's hopes up for release. Uh, then they're removing those hopes or they're dashing those hopes and they're doing it repeatedly. And that's just evidenced, for example, in the United Kingdom with the on-off lockdowns that we've had since March of last year, uh, with the promises that were made around the vaccination program that was rolled out around December last year, January of this year, being told that once the vulnerable are vaccinated, then things will open up. Then it was the over 60s, then it was the over 50s. Then we need two thirds of the population. You can go on holiday, you can't go on holiday. When you're on holiday, you're, the status of the country has changed that you need to go into quarantine. The schools are on, the schools are off. You can visit your folks, you can't visit your folks. It's, it's very, very damaging psychologically to, to build people's hopes up and repeatedly dash them. And I think that's really part of the, uh, the strategy that the governments have just to break people's will. So, yeah, at the moment, certainly I would agree that the light at the end of the tunnel would appear to be a, a very fast-moving freight train that's heading straight towards us. It's, if you think about it, whether you believe uh, there is a virus or not, I personally do believe there is a, a virus yeah, out me there. Too. But it can be it can be addressed very, you know, quite easily and simply with yeah. uh, early treatment. And um, correct, I was talking to a, a doctor who said, "Don't mention this." And guess what I'm doing? I'm talking about it, but. Um, yeah. In Australia, the um, uh, the this doctor believes that the, mm-hmm. that uh, our authorities here will not uh, go back and say, "Okay, we will allow early treatment." What they're doing is digging in on steroids. Um, do you find yeah. the same thing in the UK? 
Yeah, um, I mean, like everything, uh, you know, you need to put everything into, into perspective and you need to keep treatments and responses to these things proportionate. And whenever this first kicked off last March properly, and we were told we would have to go into a lockdown, that this deadly, deadly disease was going to spread through. And the figures that were bandied about at the time for deaths were, were astronomically high. And obviously, everyone was in a state of panic. So we kind of all went with the flow, what the government had suggested. But then over time, it was becoming apparent that, for example, within the United Kingdom, the average age of death was 82 years and three months. Uh, so the average COVID death was 82 years and three months. And although it's sad that people die of, of, of any illness or of any disease, the fact is that the people that were dying were predominantly 82 years of age. And the average life expectancy of an adult in the UK is actually 81 years of age. So we're more likely to die here of old age than we are of, of COVID-19. So while it's something that, you know, need, needed to be paid attention to and it's something that needed to be addressed, the response to that was was way over the top. And you mentioned about, uh, you know, uh, alternative treatments. You know, there's a lot of data coming out at the moment about um, a drug like ivermectin that has been proven to be successful as a prophylaxis across the world. And it's been on the market for so long now and it's so cheap, but it's being buried at the moment in favor of uh, vaccine rollouts, universal vaccine rollouts, which are, which are, you know, the, the true extent of this action will only be revealed, I think, over the next six months to two years. In Australia, the, um, uh, there's two major radio networks uh, mm -hmm. and, and big radio stations. For example, in Sydney, 2GB is the talk station and KISS FM is the uh, pop station. Not like yeah. us, we like rock and roll. None of this, oh, yeah. none of this girly stuff. But anyway, the, um, the, the, both stations uh, are now the mouthpieces for the uh, government in that state. And... Yeah. Um, I've, I noticed just um, today, in fact, the uh, one of the preambles before a guy's shift referred to people not taking the vaccine as being second-rate people, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, just uh, rude names. Uh, the government yep. you know, in New South Wales has set up a, a task force yep. <laughs> to find these people that went on a protest march on the weekend. 23 yep. detectives. Now, I'm sure they have better things to do and catch criminals than to catch yeah. people venting their frustrations on going broke with their businesses or yep. having these um, unconstitutional lockdowns, which they are. And yes. um, but no, you're a uh, you're a rat bag if you uh, disagree with the government. What about yep. in Ireland, though, uh, COVID-19, you know, taking it aside how we feel about it? Uh, how mm -hmm. has Ireland fared just looking at the data for the last, say, 18 months? Well, it, within Northern Ireland, which is still part of the United Kingdom, which is where I live at the moment, um, we aren't being treated as badly, uh, if you want to call it that, by the government that we have than the Republic of Ireland are by theirs. Although we're part of the same island, their, their handling of the COVID situation has been extreme uh, and again disproportionate compared to the amount of people that have actually been hospitalized and that have died and what they what w there seems to be a unified approach by all the governments at the moment 
whereby they're focusing predominantly on cases. Now, um, as you probably know, the, the cases are really driven by PCR testing. And currently, the PCR tests are being run at 45 cycles, which is way too high and will pick up just about anything, uh, whereas they should be run at around about 28 cycles to be proven to be in any way effective. So we're being um, locked down and oppressed and having our liberties removed on the basis of cases rather than hospitalizations and deaths uh, within Northern Ireland at the moment. It's not unlike Australia. There, there's literally, uh, you know, there's a nominal amount of deaths this year. And again, while every death is tragic, I'm not playing that down at all. It's got to be proportionate. You know, for every person that dies uh, of COVID on a daily basis, there's 450 people die of cancer in the UK and 400 people are dying of heart disease. And there was an, an article published, uh, I think it was today in the Daily Mail to say that in the last 12 months, there's at least 330,000 cases of cancer that have went undiagnosed along with heart disease, diabetes, etc. So, you know, it's been a very disproportionate reaction that has resulted in economic devastation, um, destruction of children's education and their mental health. And it's just been detrimental on the whole. What about mental health? And we, we sort of gloss over this. I mean, because I suppose yeah. um, it's something we don't want to talk about. In, in Australia, we um, it sort of creeps out that the amount of um, uh, duress uh, the teens are under, uh, children are yep. under, and the adults are under. What about in the, your part of the world? How are they tackling yep. that, and how 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 dominant is the uh, mental health uh, crisis? Well, I'm sad to say that you know the focus seems to be just if if it's not COVID or COVID related, it's it's pushed to the side or of course there's token token gestures that are being made by the government. They will acknowledge that people are under pressure. They will acknowledge that there's a growing mental health crisis. They will allocate ten million pounds worth of funds for counselling and one thing and another. But it's it's just simply not enough. There's a there's a tsunami of a mental health crisis, you know, about to hit all over the world right now. Mm. And, you know, and the thing is, nobody is really exempt from this. You know, it's not affecting one part of the population and it's not affecting one age group or demographic. You know, you've got you've got kids that are born at the moment or they're six months of age. They haven't seen an unmasked human face. You've got fathers that are separated from their wives during the birth of their children. You've got people who have lost their mothers and fathers and they're not being allowed to say goodbye to them in nursing homes or mourn them properly at funerals. You've got people whose businesses are failing. You'll have mass evictions and mortgage repossessions probably towards the end of this year because the government schemes that would have underpinned those will have gone. You know, when you mix that all in with the general uncertainty and the psychological warfare that's being waged on the population at the moment, there's no escape from this uh, being affected mentally. And I am of the belief that whereby everybody's affected differently and to different degrees. I don't think there's anyone at all who hasn't suffered mentally or hasn't had some kind of negative impact on their mental health since March last year when this all began. I mean, like it's, it's affecting absolutely everybody. That's the, that's the pandemic. That's the epidemic that we have right now. But back to your uh, video, the, uh, you talked about yeah. Australia having beaches and yada, yada, being a really lovely yeah. place. 
what about, the, if, I read this morning that these protests in New South Wales, they had 10,000 leads on those terrible protesters and yep. they were dobbed in by next door neighbours, family, friends yep. or ex-friends, probably ex-family yep. at this stage. They're just dobbed in. How bad is that? And how, how, how against the image of Australia is that? I mean, if you think about it, you know, the Australians are great in the wars. They you know, always had your back. You know, yep. got, got your six. They haven't got yep. that anymore. It seems like we lead the way in this country. And I want to know how you feel about that. We lead the way in this country in, in uh, dibby-dobbing on anybody and yeah. everybody. Well, you know, it's pretty sad to see where I live in Northern Ireland. You know, we have a saying over here that uh, goes something like snitches get stitches. And it's quite effective. You know, people realize that if they're going to squeal on people, you know, and they're found out about it, there could be <laughs> there could be repercussions on that. Whenever those repercussions are taken away, you know, it's a bit like if you can rem- remember being at school, there was always some kid in school. And when you did something wrong, they would run to the teacher and dob you in just because they wanted to be in the teacher's good books or because they were doing some virtuous act. Well, unfortunately, we've got nations of people like that now and they're grown adults. They're not five and six year old kids in school playgrounds anymore. These are grown adults that are acting like that five year old kid at school that would run up to the teacher and say, Miss, Miss, he was he was throwing throwing things in class. He was talking behind your back. And this they take some kind of perverse pleasure from this. So mm. it's hard to understand the psychology. I couldn't do it myself, but I'm seeing more and more of it uh, all over the place. And yeah, the dobbing in, in Australia is not, not nice to see. We uh, had a doctor on showing the uh, efficacy of masks, which those mm-hmm. used, they're terrible things. Anyway, the, he showed yep. that they don't work anyway, uh, and he used a vape yep. on it and the, uh, the uh, smoke, after you blew it out, yep. went out of every orifice possible. Um, yep. Yet, I mean, I, I, I've shown people that, and they just look at you as like, well, what do you mean? The government wouldn't lie to us. The government doesn't lie to us. And the media says you've got to wear your mask. <laughs> What's yep. the situation in your neck of the woods? Well, the situation, again, there's a, there's a unified push by all the governments. They're pushing the mask mandate. They're pushing vaccinations. They're pushing scare through scaremongering through the media. You know, it's it's part of their 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 overall plan within the you know Northern Ireland here. You know, you're mentioning there about people are just taking what the government says. You know, at face value, they're not questioning it. Like one of the first ma- major arguments I had about all of this was with my own dad. God bless him. And I've never argued with my dad in my life. You know, he's 76 years of age now. But last year we got into this and he actually said to me, I I said, where are you getting your information from? And he says, the BBC. And (laughs) and then he he, he attacked me and he said, listen, I mean, I have actually, I actually have an honours degree in science. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor, but I know a little bit, you know, aside from doing any research. And he, he said, I'm shocked at you. I'm absolutely shocked at you with your scientific knowledge and your scientific understanding that that you're not fully supportive of this. And I said that it's because I have scientific, a little bit of scientific knowledge and understanding. And I'm looking to people who are pioneers in their field when they tell me that a mask is ineffective. Well, then, you know, you go with what the experts say. 
And at the very beginning of all this, you know, you have the like of Fauci, who was on American TV last February, last March, saying masks are ineffective. In the UK, we had Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Van Tam, we had Chris Whitty, we had Matt Hancock, who was the then health secretary, we had Patrick Valance, all telling us that masks were a waste of time. Don't waste the PPE, leave it to the healthcare workers. That was up until around May or June last year. And then the button was pushed and the narrative shifted. And it, it was all about the face masks, which are just simply uh, a psychological tool to keep people reminded that there's something out there. Because let's face it, if the masks were removed, you know, people wouldn't even know there was anything going on. There's no bodies in the streets. There's mm. no mm. there's no major crisis. They're just a symbol, a psychological symbol to, to, to perpetuate this attack on our economies and on our mental health. Mm. Rick, you're well-travelled. What are your thoughts on vaccine passports? Well, my experience with vaccine passports up until this point is that there, there's a, 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 rule, a, a rule that's not normally enforced. If, For example, I can only speak from my own experience, but I've travelled to East Africa quite a lot. And one of the, the, the regulations over there is you must have a yellow fever certificate before you're allowed access to the country. So when I went to the travel clinic originally and they went through all the vaccination, and by the way, I'm not anti-vaccination. I've probably got more vaccinations than most people listening to me tonight. I've got vaccinations against meningococcal meningitis, four different strains, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, rabies, typhoid, yellow fever, the lot. So I'm not anti-vaccination and I know and appreciate that vaccinations can play a, a part in reducing the spread of fatal diseases and outbreaks in one thing and another. That's why they have, for example, a yellow fever certificate requirement to enter into East Africa. But it's it was never enforced in the 20 odd times that I have been over there. Only once during an outbreak in I think it was 2016 was I asked to produce a, my certificate. Uh, luckily, I had it in my passport. Anyone that didn't have it in their passport, there were mobile uh, vaccination tents set up literally at the airport. And you were told, if you don't take this job, you're going back home again. I could understand that because they were in the middle of an outbreak. And if you had got yellow fever over there, there is no treatment for it, by the way. It could be potentially fatal. So it really is in your best interest to have it. And it's a vaccine that was developed over decades and had extensive long-term uh, clinical trials performed on it. So you can see the need, you can see the efficacy, and you can see the safety. So, you know, why not get it done to save your own life? It doesn't quite apply the same way with COVID-19, which has a, you know, an average survival rate of 99.98%. And again, an average death age of around about 82 and the vaccines that are being, you know, administered at the moment, vaccines in inverted commas, they're still in clinical trials until 2023, January, February 2023. So you're taking in a vaccine or a medical product that has no long-term uh, clinical data available in terms of safety for a disease that has a 99.8% survival rate. So while I can see there could be an argument for a vaccine passport in Africa with a yellow fever outbreak, I'm sorry, but I can't see that there's any justification for one for international travel for COVID and certainly not on a domestic level, which is what they've just brought in in Ireland today. They've actually mandated that unless you can 
provide proof of double vaccination. You now can't go into a pub or a restaurant. You're now excluded officially. It's complete overkill. Which is really interesting. I mean, if you're told to eat outside an island, uh, winters can get really wet and cold. Um, yeah. So I'd imagine, first of all, the uh, if you have shares in a umbrella factory or a, uh, yeah. or a raincoat factory, maybe. But it's uh, it is overkill. We have the same thing here. They're uh, talking about the uh, vaccine passport and you can't fly unless you uh, or they're talking about bringing this yep. in you can't fly you can't go to restaurants yeah same globally um yep. many say though and i sort of lean towards this and a lot of scientists say there's probably another nefarious um reason for the passport i mean for example the app on the phone which is your qr yep. app or whatever it's yep. called you just you know check in yep. Um, yep. they had a breach in queensland of that particular mm-hmm. app and um, it was one story on one mainstream media station i think the girl's still there but she said there was a breach of that particular app and then yep. she said at the end of it but not to worry it was only done by the police <laughs> and i thought oh really so what yeah. the you know what the, if you put one on one does equal two here because mm-hmm. if they can track you and you know you can backdoor that was the argument with Huawei you can backdoor yeah. somebody's information very easily and get into yep. all sorts of um, dark places if you want to and the same thing with an app they can backdoor you very easily without you knowing yep. and all of a sudden you become part of their control and uh, mm-hmm. so I sort of see the same thing with the the app what do you feel about that. Yeah, with with all of with everything that's going on at the minute, okay, that, you know, COVID nineteen has been a, a Trojan horse uh, to bring in uh, government control, okay, extending far-reaching governmental control and surveillance of their population. That's a fact, okay. So, uh, you know, for, if anybody's listening and they're saying this guy's crazy, he's a conspiracy theorist, it's not about control. Listen, if COVID nineteen was about health. Okay, gyms would never have been closed and McDonald's would not have been allowed to remain open. Okay, outdoor sports and outdoor activities would have been allowed to proceed to help with people's physical and mental health rather than telling them to sit indoors and and avoid them, avoid oxygen and avoid vitamin D, which would both be highly beneficial in a respiratory illness okay it's got nothing to do with health this was all brought in on the back of introducing acts emergency acts through parliaments especially within the united kingdom the covid 19 act the covid law coronavirus act i think that the official name was that basically allowed to do the government to do things that would never they would never normally have got away with for example shut down a church shut down education shut down international travel, stop you from seeing your family, keep you in the house, tell you when you can come in, tell you when you can go out. And you can see that bedding in now. And sadly, a lot of people have become so accustomed to it, it really is their new normal. And the government know that and the government realise that. So when these um, uh, vaccine passports are being brought in, for example, we were told initially they wouldn't be brought in. Then we were told they would be brought in. Then it was just for nightclubs, for example, within the United Kingdom. It says they'll be for nightclubs up until September. Then it's now anywhere where there's a lot of people indoors. Now employers are starting to be uh, egged on by the government to take it upon themselves to require it before a return to a workplace can be done. So it's it's a death by a thousand cuts in terms of governmental control here. And you're seeing that in, in Australia. You're seeing it in New Zealand. 
You're seeing it in France at the moment. France is really kicking off big at the moment. Germany's been talking about it today. And the, the focus seems to be in and around September. September's a big, crucial time for them. All these governments, they're in lockstep for September that they want these mandating of vaccines brought in for children in schools, for university students. So again, you know, for what? what if there was an Ebola outbreak listen i would be out advocating vaccinations myself you know if there was a you know a typhoid outbreak or a hepatitis b outbreak and i had the medication i'd be telling people to get vaccinated and stay at home and be sensible but we're not talking about that we're talking about you know a hyped up common cold here one wonders the uh, maybe the g7 was as part of this this great cozy club which is not seven i think it's about 12 of them the g7 uh, with a uh, klaus um yep. it's sort of leading towards which people have been talking about and probably just pushed aside as as a uh, conspiracy theory but the global mm-hmm. plan uh, digital currency um it's sort of all coming together yep. using covid as the catalyst uh, what do you think right. about this yeah i mean I, I, there, I saw um i saw a clip today on on social media from uh, alex jones and infowars and he said you know, for a long time, he was maligned and he was deemed to be crazy. And yes, he's had his moments, but a lot of things that he's called out and has been calling out for the last 10 years, you're starting to see them coming to pass. And one of the things he he, he said was, he said, he's getting a lot more interest now. People now want to talk to him the same as some kind of a prophet or some kind of a, a real deep forward thinker. And he made a very good point. He said, listen, all this is in the public domain. You know, the World Economic Forum have a website. You know, if anyone's listening to this tonight and they're thinking, you know, this guy from Northern Ireland, Rick Munn's crazy, Mike Rand's crazy, go on to the World right. Economic Forum website. It's all on there. They're talking about genetically engineering mm. beef. They're talking about by the year 2030, you won't own anything. There won't be any currency. You'll be a happy citizen. They're talking about social credit uh, pilots. You know, everything's out there and they're just following their blueprint pretty much to the letter at the moment and they're making no secret about it uh, they're just simply following through the plans that have been out there you know uh, agenda 21 the whole great i mean klaus schwab has a book called you know covid19 in the great reset it's available on amazon i'm sure you know it's it's not a conspiracy theory it's real mm. uh trevor fitzgibbon uh we uh, interviewed the other day um very close with julian assange uh, snowden mm-hmm. chelsea manning and mm-hmm. um and has real insight into what um, the intelligence orgs can do. And he's talking about the information operation that's on steroids at the moment. And he used an example, for example, in the Iraq war with a PR company that was paid $540 million US dollars to to, uh, come up with false stories and to convince the nations or nations to uh, believe that what is happening is for their greater good. And that's yep. what they were paid to do. So this information operation is still in operation at the moment because we have mm-hmm. we have the general populace. And I've got to tell you, in Australia, there's about 80 uh, percent, some call them sheeples, but 80 percent of people yep. actually believe that all this is great. This is just, you know, government loves us. Um, yep. Big pharma wouldn't do anything bad to us. Big tech loves, you know, is good for us. Yeah. Your media is going to uh, roll out the red carpet for the libertarians. None of that is true, is it? No, no, none of it's true. I mean, if you take uh, the, one of the great enablers 
for this all to happen, for this all to get to this point, I, I'm not sure how it's worked in Australia, but within the United Kingdom in March 2020, we were told by our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, okay, we need three weeks, three weeks to flatten the curve. Okay, and at that point, there was hysteria pretty much every, I mean, like, I remember back then, I was caught up in it. I, I didn't know any different. This was out of the blue. It was like a sledgehammer blow where we're all terrified. And we're like, okay, three weeks, three weeks inside just to keep things level, to flatten the curve and we're back to normal seems good. Now, obviously, if you are self-employed or you are working for someone that if you were off sick, they would only pay you like a basic, you know, a very, very minimum wage that wouldn't even cover your living expenses. You know, they softened the blow by bringing in a furlough scheme, which said, OK, we'll pay 80 percent of your wages for as long as this takes. And obviously, a lot of people thought that was a great thing because they were be effectively being paid to sit at home. And the 20 percent of their wages that they lost, they were saving that in train fares or commuting fares or buying lunches, you know, when they were in the office and one thing and another. So a lot of people were at a, a sort of a, a neutral point whereby they didn't actually lose any money. They were being paid to sit at home. So, of course, who's going to complain about that? Sadly, a lot of self-employed people were neglected in that if they weren't self-employed for a certain period of time. Those people are still suffering now or have went bust. But, you know, the government had to introduce sweeteners along the way for this to happen. And one of them was... The furlough scheme, if there was no furlough scheme and the government hadn't have provided any support, this would never have went past four weeks. You know, so that was part of their strategy also uh, was to keep people sweet and to keep people bought in. And when the vaccination program was rolled out, you know, we were told, you know, 15 million jabs to freedom once the over 75s are there and everybody was all happy and the national the national spirit allegedly, according to the media, was on an all time high. And. There was a guy, our transport secretary, I'll never forget this, his name's Grant Shapps, and he appeared on a, a, a radio show, and the presenter said, so are you telling me that if this doesn't happen, that you will you will oppose this? And he said, I'll be, his own words, I'll be on the barricades. I'll be on the barricades screaming freedom. Now, that was back in February, and he's currently banging on about uh, rolling out vaccine passports and locking people down again. So, you know, it's it's the carrot, the carrot perpetually dangling in front of the, the nose. And unfortunately, the vast majority of people are still chasing that carrot that they're never going to get. The world is uh, changing. Um, I'm hugely, hugely angry uh, over that. And yep. when I think about it, I'm think, I, I would imagine you're the same because yep. what was, and it had... You know, all sorts of problems, problems that could be overcome. And yep. you had dreams, people had dreams, and they were yep. going to, you know, they had freedoms, which we took for granted, yep. which is being seen now. And it changed, it stopped, it stopped about 18 months ago. And it did. we, it, it wasn't even a gradual stop, it was a sudden stop. And you're right, the suite that was there because of the incentives from the government, yep. which are gone now. And now, they have a majority of the population believing the narrative. So therefore you have propaganda. You have terrible, yep. terrible uh, attitudes and uh, the imagery of, 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 of sheeple is, is really scary. How do we halt these authoritarian measures being imposed by governments around the world? Because at the moment, 
I, you know, I, I, can, I would say confidently that there are about 80% that will go along with the narrative. And yep. the other 20% who are trying to show that this is a great con job and that your, the future of mankind is at stake here. How do we get around that? How do we halt these measures? Well, you know, history is a great teacher. History is the greatest teacher that we have, Mike. You know, it teaches us what not to do. Uh, uh, and it teaches us what we need to do uh, to, you know, <laughs> undo bad situations. Um, you know, there, there are measures at the moment. For example, again, let me give um, the United Kingdom as an example. There have been mass rallies and protests that have been gaining in size over the last, say, from around about April time, April, May, June, July. There was a the last main march in London there. There could have been upwards of half a million people at it, but it was completely uh, blanked by the uh, social, uh, by mainline media. In fact, if you wanted to get a report on it, you had to tune into Russian TV or, you know, Czechoslovakian TV. That they, they were the people that were covering it. The BBC weren't covering it. It was buried, okay? People are marching in numbers. And you're, you're likely aware of this too. There's a, there's a figure someone came up with that if you can get 3.5% of a population to rise up together in peaceful non-compliance, you will affect change, okay? Now, if you take a country like the United Kingdom with 70 million people, you know, mathematically, you're going to need at least 2.5 million people to rise up in peaceful non-compliance to have any kind of a chance for anything to be changed. And at the minute, we're not at those figures, let alone even 20%. Mm. We're not even seeing 3.5% of the people, you know, taking to the streets. And the way that the protests are being done, you know, and by the way, I'm a big believer in protesting, lawful, peaceful protesting. I believe messages need to be put out there. Uh, but, but I believe they're important also for people's mental health at the moment. There's a lot of people who are like, isolated. There's a lot of people who are despondent that are down. When they get together in a rally, it gives them a boost in their you know, self-esteem. It gives them a sense of purpose and direction. It makes them feel like they're part of something bigger. So in that respect, I'm fully supportive of protests. But when you look at realistically, that's back to what I said at the very beginning, you have to be realistic rather than just simply blindly optimistic as much as these protests are growing the measures that they're trying to introduce seem to be getting worse okay so uh, as much as there's more and more people awakening if you want to call it that it doesn't seem to be having any effect on you know what the government are actually doing they're actually steamrolling ahead with their plans irrespective of the amount of people that are coming out and walking on the streets in peaceful protests so where do you go from that? You know, and that's a question people are starting to say to me. You know, they're they're mailing me on, you know, Twitter and they're saying, okay, what do you think we need to do? And, well, I'm not advocating anything um, illegal. You have to be realistic to say, okay, you need to maybe move from, you know, peaceful protesting to, you know, for example, strikes. I haven't seen any any strike, strike action happening. Uh, you could have, you know, the entire supermarket workers could strike mm. or if you could get them to, you know, health care workers or care workers to strike, there has to be something that'll make the government sit up and pay attention because up until now, 
walking in the streets with banners, they're not paying attention to that. You know, if there was to be disruption to the infrastructure or disruption to traffic, arterial routes coming in and out of city centres, that is something that the media will report on rather than simple protest marches, Mm -hmm. you know. So there's obviously different levels that you can go to in terms of resistance. Um, And, you know, let's be honest here. The government is the aggressor right now. You know, the, the, the people are not the aggressors. When you take away a man's right and a man's ability to earn money, to feed his wife and to feed his children or the wife's ability to feed her husband and her children without being sexist here, when you remove that from someone or you tell someone they can't see their parents or their, their parents are in a nursing home and they have to die alone and you can't mourn them, that's an aggressive act. Mm. Uh, on the part of the government with no justification. So the government are trying also to portray people that are protesting and rising up more vehemently as aggressors, whereas in reality we are not the aggressors. We are the people that are being attacked and we are the people that are being treated with hostility and we're simply reacting to that. We're counter-reacting rather than, you know, taking taking trouble to the streets. Mm. It's a... Um you know, I'm just um, I'm, I'm a bit nervous with that train coming towards me at the moment. If somebody wants to find out more about what you do, how do they do that? What Give us your handle for your Twitter account. Well, uh, I, I started the Twitter account in February this year. I had like 10 people following. Not that numbers mean anything, to be honest with you, but it seems to have grown now. There's about 11, 12,000 people on there now. And my Twitter handle is it's no risk. N-O-R-I-S-K under slash no reward. That's it. Uh, And basically, I just simply do two-minute video clips, a little bit of a narrative on what's happening on the day. And when I started these uh, videos off initially, they were actually for mental health advocacy. So as much as I'm, uh, how would you say, I'm being realistic about the situation, I'm trying to get people to make the best of what they have Mm. rather than hoping that, you know, that, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz. We're not going to click our ruby slippers together and say there's no place like home and pop back over to Kansas with Toto the dog here. It's just not going to happen uh, in the short term. But what you might be able to do is you might be able to get enough strength and fortitude to get through the day or get through the week or get through the month. So the Twitter um, feed that I have is just simply trying to keep people strong mentally, trying to keep people informed factually. I'm just really trying to give people a little bit of hope, but realistic rather than, you know, head in the clouds or head in the sand. Mm. Look, I've, uh, we've just had our producer hand me um, just on the other side of the desk. In fact, we have found that Kylie and Jason uh, record for you. So we'll put that in the mail so you'll be able to meditate to Kylie and Jason, those wondering uh, who Kylie and Jason are, which is probably most of our audience at the moment. Uh, they were uh, our answer to Buck's Fizz. Uh, they were. <laughs> and they were. Scott, Scott and Charlene. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, another great TV show that I've actually never, ever, ever watched and, uh, oh. and never will. They used to call... You don't know, um, what, you're, you don't know what you're missing no, there, No, I do, I do, let me tell you. They used to call Kylie the budgie, but she's uh, done very well for a bird. Rick Munn, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Mike. Thank you.